Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight we continue our story. The Adventure of the Priory School by Arthur Conan Doyle I agree with you that complete frankness, however painful it may be to me, is the best policy in this desperate situation to which James's folly and jealousy have reduced us. When I was a very young man, Mr. Holmes, I loved with such a love that comes only once in a lifetime. I offered the lady marriage but she refused it on the grounds that such a match might mar my career. Had she lived, I would certainly would have never married anyone else. She died and left this one child, whom for her sake I have cherished and cared for. I could not acknowledge the paternity to the world, but I gave him the best of educations. And since he came to manhood, I have kept him near my person. He surprised my secret and is presumed ever since upon the claim which he has upon me and upon his power of provoking a scandal, which would be abhorrent to me. His presence had something to do with the unhappy issue of my marriage. Above all, he hated my young, illegitimate heir. Above all, he hated my young, legitimate heir from the first with a persistent hatred. You may well ask me why, under those circumstances, I still kept James under my roof. I answer that it was because I could see his mother's face in his, and that for her dear sake there was no end to my long suffering, all her pretty ways too. There was not one of them which he could not suggest and bring back to my memory. I could not send him away, but I feared so much lest he should do Arthur, that is, Lord Saltire, a mischief that I dispatched him for safety to Dr. Huxtable's school. James came into contact with this fellow Hayes because the man was a tenant of mine and James acted as agent. The fellow was a rascal from the beginning, but in some extraordinary way, James became intimate with him. He had always a taste for low company. When James determined to kidnap Lord Saltire, it was of this man's service that he availed himself. You remember that I wrote to Arthur upon that last day. Well, James opened the letter and inserted a note asking Arthur to meet him in a little wood called the Ragged Shaw, which is near to the school. He used the Duchess's name, and in that way got the boy to come. That evening, James bicycled over. I am telling you what he has himself confessed to me. And he told Arthur, whom he met in the wood, that his mother longed to see him, that she was awaiting him on the moor and that if he would come back into the wood at midnight, he would find a man with a horse who would take him to her. Poor Arthur fell into the trap. He came to the appointment and found this fellow Hayes with a lead pony. Arthur mounted and they set off together. It appears, though this James only heard yesterday, that they were pursued, that Hayes struck the pursuer with his stick, and that the man died of his injuries. Hayes brought Arthur to his public house, the Fighting Cock, where he was confined in an upper room, under the care of Mrs. Hayes, who was a kindly woman, but entirely under the control 
of her brutal husband. Well, Mr. Holmes, that was the state of affairs when I first saw you two days ago. I had no more idea of the truth than you. You'll ask me what was James's motive in doing such a deed. I answer that there was a great deal which was unreasoning and fanatical in the hatred which he bore my heir. In his view, he should himself have been heir of all my estates, and he deeply resented those social laws which made it impossible. At the same time, he had a definite motive also. He was eager that I should break the entail, and he was of opinion that it lay in my power to do so. He intended to make a bargain with me, to restore Arthur if I would break the entail, and so make it possible for the estate to be left to him by will. He knew well that I should never willingly invoke the aid of the police against him. I say that he would have proposed such a bargain to me, but he did not actually do so, for events moved too quickly for him, and he had not time to put his plans into practice. What brought all his wicked scheme to wreck was your discovery of this man Heidegger's dead body. James was seized with horror at the news. It came to us yesterday as we sat together in this study. Dr. Huxtable had sent a telegram. James was so overwhelmed with grief and agitation that my suspicions, which had never been entirely absent, rose instantly to a certainty. And I taxed him with the deed. He made a complete voluntary confession, and he implored me to keep his secret for three days longer, so as to give his wretched accomplice a chance of saving his guilty life. I yielded, as I have always yielded, to his prayers, and instantly James hurried off to the fighting cock to warn Hayes and give him the means of flight. I could not go there by daylight without provoking comment, but as soon as night fell, I hurried off to see my dear Arthur. I found him safe and well, but horrified beyond expression by the dreadful deed he had witnessed. In deference to my promise, and much against my will, I consented to leave him there for three days under the charge of Mrs. Hayes, since it was evident that it was impossible to inform the police where he was without telling them also who was the murderer. And I could not see how the murderer could be punished without ruin to my unfortunate James. You asked for frankness, Mr. Holmes, and I have taken you at your word, for I have now told you everything without an attempt of circumlocution or concealment. Do you, in turn, be as frank with me? I will, said Holmes. In the first place, Your Grace, I am bound to tell you that you have placed yourself in a most serious position in the eyes of the law. You have condoned a felony, and you have aided the escape of a murderer. For I cannot doubt that any money which was taken by James Wilder to aid his accomplice in his flight came from your grace's purse. The duke bowed his assent. This is indeed a most serious matter. Even more culpable, in my opinion, your grace, is your attitude towards your younger son. You leave him in this den for three days. Under solemn promises, what are promises to such people as these? You have no guarantee that he will not be spirited away again. To humor your guilty elder son, you have exposed your innocent younger son to imminent and unnecessary danger. It was a most unjustifiable action. The proud lord of Holderness was not accustomed to be so raided in his own ducal hall. The blood rushed into his high forehead, 
but his conscience held him dumb. I will help you, but on one condition only. It is that you ring for the footman and let me give such orders as I like. Without a word, the duke pressed the electric bell. A servant entered. You will be glad to hear, said Holmes, that your young master is found. It is the duke's desire that the carriage shall go at once to the fighting cock inn to bring Lord Saltire home. Now, said Holmes, when the rejoicing lackey had disappeared, having secured the future, we can afford to be more lenient with the past. I am not in an official position, and there is no reason, so long as the ends of justice are served. Why I should disclose all that I know. As to Hayes, I say nothing. The gallows awaits him, and I would do nothing to save him from it. What he will divulge, I cannot tell but I have no doubt that your grace could make him understand that it is to his interest to be silent. From the police point of view, he will have kidnapped the boy for the purpose of ransom. If they do not themselves find it out, I see no reason why I should prompt them to take a broader point of view. I see no reason why I should prompt them to take a broader point of view. I would warn your grace, however, that the continued presence of Mr. James Wilder in your household can only lead to misfortune. I understand that, Mr. Holmes, and it is already settled that he shall leave me forever and go to seek his fortune in Australia. In that case, Your Grace, since you have yourself stated that any unhappiness in your married life was caused by his presence, I would suggest that you make such amends as you can to the Duchess, and that you try to resume those relations which have been so unhappily interrupted. That also I have arranged, Mr. Holmes. I wrote to the Duchess this morning. In that case, said Holmes, rising, I think that my friend and I can congratulate ourselves upon several most happy results from our little visit to the North. There is one other small point to which I desire some light. This fellow Hayes had shot his horses with shoes, which counterfeited the tracks of cows. Was it from Mr. Wilder that he learned so extraordinary a device? The Duke stood in thought for a moment, with a look of intense surprise on his face. Then he opened the door and showed us into a large room, furnished as a museum. He led the way to a glass case in a corner and pointed to the inscription. These shoes, it ran, were dug up in the moat of Holderness Hall. They are for the use of horses, but they are shaped below with a cloven foot of iron so as to throw pursuers off the track. They are supposed to have belonged to some of the marauding barons of holiness in the Middle Ages. Holmes opened the case, and moistening his finger, he passed it along the shoe. A thin film of recent mud was left upon his skin. Thank you, said he, as he replaced the glass. It is the second most interesting object that I have seen in the North. And the first? Holmes folded up his check and placed it carefully in his notebook. I am a poor man, said he, as he patted it affectionately and thrust it into the depths of his inner pocket. How about that? I want to remind you that we are always on the hunt for great stories like this one to feature on the show. And if you know of any, you can email me 
bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the podcast. Go to tiny.cc slash bedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Music. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>